0: The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg Twice a day we cover our eyes and we say Shema Yisrael HaShemulakey HaShemulakey We concentrate and we reflect and the idea of God is one. But what does it mean to us that God is one? So why do we have to concentrate to believe that there's one God? It's self-evident, obvious. You don't need to think of half a, half a moment. You know that we believe in God, there's a God, and we believe in God, and God is one. And... But the belief in God is much deeper than that. The belief in God affects me very personally. not abstract if God is one that means that God is the ultimate and only reality there is no other reality God is one there is no other reality nothing else exists besides God everything this whole life and interplay and existence everything that's here is really just here for a godly intent for a godly purpose there is nothing else it's not the world exists and there happens to be a God it's like icing on the cake. You have religion, you have God. You have no, there is no the, the only reason there is existence, the only reason God, cre- God created the world, he created it for a divine purpose. And existence itself is nothing other than the ultimate expression of godliness, because existence is the greatest miracle. We take existence for granted, but existence is the greatest miracle. When a Jew takes a cup of water, you stop and you make a blessing. Baruch Ator Hashem, like thanking Hashem for creating, because everything that He creates is being created at this very moment through the Divine Speech. Because we realize, and this is what makes us a holy people, we realize that the splitting of the sea is nothing in comparison to the miracle of the cup of water. That this cup of water exists that it has exactly the nutrients that we need to sustain life and everything in the world, mathematically, it, it's, it's an impossibility. The chances of everything falling into place and being so perfect, scientists say, it's an impossibility. The fact that there's life like this anywhere in the whole universe, mathematically, it's an almost impossibility. So the fact that we exist, that there is existence, to us is the most astonishing miracle. And every moment, God has to create this miracle. So everything in this world is divine. Everything is just expressing the divine. There is nothing else. And our life, therefore, has, has a divine purpose. There's a divine mission. Everything that I do is divine. And this radically rev- revolutionizes our whole approach and our whole understanding of Judaism. Before the Hasidic teachings, before the Baal Judaism was very compartmentalized. You you did something religious, you did something godly. You studied Torah, you did a mitzvah, you came to Shul. But then you had the rest of your life, earning a living, eating, drinking, taking care of yourself, taking care of your family. And it was like two different worlds. But with this understanding, Hashem Echad, that God is imminent, God is here, God is all around, God is everywhere, there is nothing else besides God, everything here is just here, only because God is constantly creating us, everything has a divine purpose, there is nothing else, there is no other reality. So it's not like my Judaism is something that's important, very important, once a week, certain moments in my life, certain areas in my life, but then I have my own personal private life that has nothing to do with with Hashem you know, for a Jew there's only one theme if there's one God Hashem Echad then there's only one theme to my life my whole life is unified it's about one reality everything that I do is here to express that one reality to express Hashem to express the ultimate reality so it's not only when I'm studying Torah I'm doing something that's obviously godly and holy that I'm connecting with godliness so not only when I'm doing a mitzvah but I'm going about my mundane life, my daily life, I'm drinking a cup of water, I'm eating, I'm taking care of my needs, I'm surviving, I'm, I'm earning a living. Everything that I do 24-7 is connected to that godly purpose. So it's not only that everything is a means to an end. Even without Hasidus, Everything that I do is for the sake of heaven. So yes, I have a whole life, and most of my life is actually occupied. Most of my years and most of my life is occupied six days a week, and most of my day and most of my years are occupied earning a living, taking care of my responsibilities, taking care of my family, taking care of myself, taking care of my family. But everything that I do is in order that I should be able to serve God. I can raise my family as good Jews. I can give them a Jewish education. I can. It's not. It's not. Uh, it's not cheap to be uh, an observant Jew, pay for kosher food, and to to pay for all the holidays and the mitzvot. So, so therefore, in that sense, my whole life there's a theme. I'm, everything that I'm doing is ultimately for the sake of heaven. But there, it's still compartmentalized. I have two. There's two different worlds. I have my world, and my private life. But I'm doing it, it's a means to an end. The end is, of course, Hashem, that's the primary, that's important, that's what it's all about. And everything else in my life is a means to enable me to serve Hashem, which is wonderful. That's a wonderful level. But here we're, we're talking, Hasidus introduced something much deeper. That it's not just a means to an end. Everything that I do is in the end, everything that I do is an opportunity to fulfill, has a divine, godly purpose. And if I connect with Hashem, when I drink this cup of water, I'm connecting with Hashem. When I'm eating, I'm connecting with Hashem. Everything that I do is connected. That's how deeply connected we are to Hashem. This is what distinguishes the Jewish people. That we are a nation that even in earthiness, even as we go about our daily lives and our material self, we're so connected that we sense and we discover the divine in everything. It's like the cup of water. Who stops and makes a blessing when you drink a cup of water? I'm thirsty. I'm grabbing a drink. The Jew stops and makes a blessing. Because when you're so plugged in and you're connected, you're just astonished. This cup of water. Are you kidding me? You know what kind of miracle this is? You're looking for Hashem. I don't need the Hudson to split. I'm looking right here. This is the greatest miracle. Existence is the greatest miracle. The most astonishing ongoing miracle. That I exist, everything around me is the greatest miracle. And therefore, everything that I do has a godly intent. And now he's going to explain to us. And this is quite revolutionary. I don't know if this I've ever seen this anywhere, what he's about to say. How a Jew thinks, a Jew who's connected, who's plugged in, and your whole life becomes all-encompassing. Your whole life becomes whole and integrated and seamless and it's all connected with that ultimate reality, Hashem Echad, the reality that we acknowledge by closing our eyes and deeply concentrating twice a day. Because in a way it's counterintuitive. You know, ego comes natural the sense that everything is God that everything is godly and there is no other reality but God. and Our whole existence is an expression of the godly energy that's creating us at this very moment as we speak. This is something that every day we have to remind ourselves. That's why we have to say the Shema twice a day. We cover our eyes, we close our eyes and we deeply concentrate because it's so easy to forget. It's so easy to, to, uh, to go back to our, to revert our natural tendency which is ego and I which blinds us to the truth, to the reality. So, twice a day we have to think and concentrate on the idea of the ultimate meaning of the unity of Hashem. That means everything that I do is connected with Hashem. So, how does this change how we think about the one activity that occupies most of our lives and most of our days and most of our weeks, which is earning a living? So classically, we understood you have to earn a living to pay your bills in order to be able to give you the freedom and the time to be able to serve Hashem, to keep Shabbat and to, to be able to study Torah and to raise your family and to do Jewish life. So I have to earn my living, I have to pay my bills. That's the means to an end. Here the al is going to introduce a whole different concept of what a Jew thinks about the idea of earning a living. Rather, this approach shall be fitting us, that all our involvement with mundane affairs should be conducted not for its own sake, but in order to animate souls, to provide sustenance for fellow Jews whose souls are veritably, so to speak, portions of God, and to supply what they lack out of gratuitous kindness, In this way, we make the form, the soul, resemble Him who formed it, Hashem who is one. For the chesed of Hashem endures throughout the day, at all times, a true chesed without thought of reward, that animates the universe and all that fills it at every single moment. He's saying that we work hard, And spend most of our life earning a living to take care of others, take care of our family, our spouse, our family, our wife, our children. So, because this is a godly activity, taking care, providing for others is a godly activity. Because that's what God does; He provides for us daily, every moment. He's constantly creating us, constantly recreating us, and is giving us whatever we need. So this is what God does. God is constantly taking care, giving us all our needs, providing for us. So in turn, if we want to be godly and godlike, we emulate the God. How do we emulate Hashem? When we do the same thing, we become a provider. We earn a living, now I can provide. I can provide for others. I can take care of the needs of others. So it's not about ego. Naturally you ask anyone why you're working, or well, what do you mean why I'm working? I have to take care of my family. I love my family. This is my, it's my wife, it's my husband, it's my children. And it's natural, of course, I'm going to take care of them. I'm bringing them into this world. I'm going, to, I'm going to take care of them. It's a kosher motivation. It's beautiful. This is a healthy ego. Halavai. Everyone in America felt that way. <laughs> we would be well off. This is normal. This is natural. But a Jew has a much deeper motivation. A Jew has a godly motivation. It's not about ego. It's not about I. It's not i earning a living because I have to take care of myself and I have to take care of my loved ones. So I have to provide for them. Everything that I do... It's connected with Hashem Echad, with the absolute unity of God. And everything is absolutely unified within the absolute unity of God. So everything that I do has to be Godly. So my intent is not out of ego. My intent is because when I'm working and I spend most of my life working and I'm providing and taking care of the needs of others, I'm providing for them, I am doing something Godly. God is providing and He provides every day. And it's a gratuitous kindness. He calls it a chesed shalemus, a gratuitous kindness, without any reciprocation, no strings attached. He's not asking for any reciprocation, because he provides to us whether we deserve it or not. Whether we, he gives. He gives generously. The sun shines every day, no matter what happens here on earth. Hashem continues giving and providing and sustaining. And so, if I am, so I in turn have to be godly. What's my main activity in life? To provide, to take care, to earn a living, to be able to provide for others. So therefore, based on this, depending what your motivation is to provide for your family, if it's a purely egotistical motivation, healthy ego, but egotistical motivation, out of a natural instinct to take care and to provide, take care of my own. Then, obviously, if someone, a stranger, comes knocking on my door and needs help, I'm sorry, I can't help you. I'm busy. I'm busy with myself. I'm busy with my life. I'm busy with my family. You're not even second, you're not even on the radar. You know, naturally we care more about our pinkies and millions of people being slaughtered around the world. What's what? How does that affect me? This is my life, is is my wife, is is my children. And you find people who are very generous with their families. It's sad to see someone who's a miser, doesn't give any tzedakah, and he's a miser even to his children. And there are some that are even worse, they're even a miser to themselves. <laughs> they, they don't fagin, they don't spend a penny on themselves, and they don't spend a penny on their loved ones, and all the money in the world is sitting and counting it, and no one has any benefit or pleasure from it. But there are people no. They're very generous in themselves and also most generous with their own children. But the thought of giving tzedakah to someone in need, seriously tzedakah, serious tzedakah, that's, this is my life. I'm responsible for my life. I'm acting responsibly. I'm taking care of my life. Go, go work. Go earn a living. I mean, if your intent, if your whole motivation and your whole drive for, for, for earning a living and for going out there and making money is because I am being godly. I'm emulating Hashem. I'm doing what God is doing. My business is to provide, to help, to take care. If there's a need, to take care. And just like God takes care of our needs, whether we're worthy or not, whether we deserve it or not, He gives, He gives generously, and He takes care of us, and He carries us. So if a poor person comes and knocks on my door, that's what I do. I'm a provider. I'm a giver. Whether the person deserves it, doesn't deserve it, I know him, I don't know him. God gives us and He gives us without any conditions. So if a person is in need and I'm in a position to help, without question, with gladness of heart, here, I'm here to help. So this changes your whole approach to tzedakah. It's not like I'm doing, the, even if I write the check, I'm doing the person a big favor And I'm going out of my way, and I have to break myself, and I have to bend over backwards, and I have to go against my nature, and it's so difficult to write that check, my hard-earned money, why am I giving it away to this stranger, this person in need, I don't even know. But if your whole intent is godly, it's not about ego, it's not about I, it's not about nature, it's it's my whole life, 24-7 is godly. So this is the godly thing to do. This is what I'm all about. I'm about helping, giving, rolling up my sleeve, and this gives me the greatest joy. There's no conflict. There's no contradiction. It's not like I'm hoarding for myself, and why do I care about you? The whole motivation why I'm working is not for myself. I'm working for Hashem. So if Hashem sends my way, he sends a person in need. And he brought it to my attention. And I, obviously I have the reason, I have the ability to help him. Otherwise, why would God send it my way? So what kind of question? This is the godly thing to do. This is what Hashem wants me to do. It's, it's without even a moment's hesitation, of course. What can I do to help, please? So this, this revolutionizes your whole approach to tzedakah. But this begs the question. If the reason we are a provider is because we are emulating Hashem, and therefore it's a godly thing to do, and therefore anyone who comes knocking on my door, I have to provide, I have to help. He's a godly soul. He also has a godly soul. And therefore I have a responsibility to help him. So if that's the case, the question is in the reverse. Why am I giving preferential treatment to my family? In the first scenario, of course my family comes first. My my family is first, second, third, and fourth, and everything in between. If I have an extra bone, I'll throw you a bone. But my family? Are you kidding? That's that's my, my motivation. That's the reason I'm out there working so hard, because I want to provide for my family. It's natural, it's instinctive, it's my, it's an extension of me it's my family it's my wife it's my children my husband so it's, it's me but if and therefore tzedakah is a very difficult thing it becomes a wrestling match something you have to work very hard on but if your motivation is godly then I have a responsibility to act godly to provide for all of Hashem's to provide for all of the godly souls. So if someone comes knocking on my door and I can help, it should be first come, first serve. Why does the Torah say, no, your family comes first? It's the exact opposite. He turned the whole thing, he flipped the whole thing around. Hasidim used to say, my bread is your bread. My little bread that I have, I'm going to share with you. What's yours is yours, and what's mine is all, I'm also going to share with you. It, Hasidim said, it says, love your fellow Jew like yourself. Why does it say, love your fellow Jew like yourself? And it means you literally have to love your fellow Jew. Why only like yourself? Literally, come like yourself. So why only like? The answer is because the truth is you love your fellow Jew more than you love yourself. Because we all know our own skeletons, our closets, we all know there's reasons why we're not so lovable. But the other person, the other person, I have to give him the benefit of the doubt. The other person, I have to look with, a, with a, my right eye and I only see the good and focus on the good. And so I love the other person even more than I love myself. There was a great Hasidic master, the first Lelov a Rebbe, I think it was David of he was He was known as a lover of Jews. And one time, his... Um, his daughter was sick and they came the doctors thought that her life was, you know, was at stake and they came to ask the Rebbe who helped the whole world. He gave blessings to everyone in need. Please help your daughter. Say a say a prayer and help her. And he said a prayer, and she got better, and he started crying. Why was he crying? He should have been grateful. Hashem responded to his prayer, a miracle happened. And he says, he cried, he says, because if another Jew comes to me with their problem, someone who's not my relative, not my daughter, did I shed a tear, did I cry with the same anguish and the same hurt and the same bitterness as I cried for my own daughter. See, he was crying in the fact that he did not reach the level of literally to love your fellow Jew literally like you love yourself. Because they have a piece of the divine essence. You have a piece of the divine essence. And he felt that it wasn't on the same level. He loved everyone. He was nice and kind to everyone. But not like his own daughter. And it bothered him to know and How can you not love a fellow Jew with the same intensity that you love yourself? So this completely flips the whole... The whole, the whole argument, you know, instead of tzedakah being a difficulty that we have to overcome. To help another person, to care about another person, it's so counterintuitive, it's so, it so goes against my the grain, it goes against my nature, it goes against my being, my existence, my ego, everything that I'm occupied in twenty four seven. So it's a difficulty, it's a struggle. I have to do it and I'll do it but it's, 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 it's a wrestling match it's a huge conflict as the Bar Shem said by Divine Providence we're learning in today's Rambam, the three chapters of the Rambam and Maimonides we're learning about Tzedakah so a person it says a person is obligated to give 10% of his income to help a poor person um you're not obligated to give more than 20%. You shouldn't give away more than 20% of your income. Of course, if a poor person comes knocking at your door and he's starving, don't tell them, I already reached my quota and you're going to have to die. I'm sorry. (laughs) Slam the door in his face. There's also a prohibition. There's a prohibition that you're not allowed to hide and overlook, oversee, overlook a poor person in need. There's a positive commandment to give tzedakah, and the Talmud is telling us, like any other positive commandment, there's a limit. You don't have to spend every penny you have to fulfill a commandment. Let's say in order to fulfill the mitzvah of buying an esrach, it means I have to spend every penny that I have. You're not obligated. You're only obligated to spend up until 20% of your, of your, of your income, of your earning, whatever, of your money. However, when it comes to a prohibition, you're not allowed to, you have to spend every penny you have not to violate a prohibition. You can't say, you can't use it as an excuse. Well, I have no choice, I'm going to bankrupt myself if I follow this, uh, this Torah directive. You're not allowed to violate a prohibition under all circumstances, any circumstance, unless it's a question of life and death. But for financial reasons, you're not allowed to. So, seemingly, there is a, a limitation in giving tzedakah like any other positive mitzvah. You don't have to give, you shouldn't give more than 20%. But there's also a negative prohibition. The Torah says, don't pretend that you don't see. Don't overlook and and pretend that you're not seeing. And if you do so, you violate a prohibition. So if that's the case, it would seem you should spend every last penny that you have in order not to violate this prohibition. But the answer is very clear, because the Torah says, you're not allowed to close your eyes. Close your eyes means you shut the door in their face. You say, I can't help you. But after, you give tw- after you've given already 20% of, your, of everything that you have, you're not no longer obligated to spend any more. You, but, you, but by helping him even a little, you're giving him a penny, you're giving him a dollar, you're giving him a piece of bread, you're giving him something. So I'm not closing my eyes, I'm not pretending that I don't see you. I'm telling him, listen, I'm not in the position to help. I gave already 20%, but I'll give you something. I'm not going to w- let you walk away without anything you're starving to death, you're in need, I'm going to help you, but I'm not going to take care of all your needs. Up until 20%, you have to help the poor person with all of his needs. Even if it's one poor person. If, it's, if you can help him, and up until 10%, you're obligated, but ideally, up until 20% of your money, if you can help him, you're obligated to help? Him, write him the check. But beyond that, I'm not obligated to take care of all of his needs, but as long as I give him something, even if it's a small amount, so I'm not, cov- I'm not closing my eyes to him I'm not like dismissing him I'm not insulting him I say listen I'm not in a position to help but I'll write you an $18 check I'll give you something and that's fine so it says the language the Talmud uses is ha vazvez someone who me literally means spoils of war ha me don't give more than 20% of your earnings at tzedakah. Very interesting expression that the rabbis chose to use. Hamavazve, spoils of war. So the Baal have said that all these limitations that the Torah is discussing, 10%, 20%, not more than 20%, is only for someone who giving tzedakah is like spoils of war. It's like a war, it's a battle, it's a wrestling match, it's a conflict, you have to... You have to tear your heart out. It's so difficult for you to write that check, to take my hard-earned money and I should give it away to a poor person, to a stranger. It goes against my grain. So someone that for him, giving tzedakah is such a struggle, the Torah says, there's a limit. But someone who enjoys giving tzedakah, it's a pleasure to give tzedakah. Hashem has said, obviously there is no limit because it makes no sense. 80% of my money, I can use whatever I want. I can go skiing, I can, I can have fun, I can do anything, but God forbid I'm not allowed to give tzedakah. It makes no sense. If I enjoy giving tzedakah, to me, this is my pleasure, this is what I want to do with my money, of course there's no limit. (laughs) I mean, it doesn't make sense, why should there be a limit? Torah says, no, you're not allowed to give tzedakah. God forbid. Torah is saying, for any mitzvah, you only have to go up until 20%. You You don't have to go further. It's such a struggle for you. Okay, 20%. But if that's your pleasure, that's what you enjoy with pleasure. So if you, again, the Bar is the one who said it, because the Hasidic teachings teach us the idea of the unity of Hashem and the ultimate meaning of the unity of God, that there is no other reality but God, and therefore everything that I do becomes godly. I see godliness in everything. I connect everything that I do with godliness. So I'm earning a living, it's not just, it's a means to an end. Earning a living is a godly activity. And that's why most of my life and most of my time is occupied in my career and and earning a living. It's It's not by accident. It's not just to pay bills. There's a divine intent because that's what God does. God creates and God sustains on a daily basis. So I am becoming godly. I'm becoming a giver. Because now that I'm adult, I have the ability to give. So God enabled me to be a partner with Him. The ultimate gift, to be a giver. Because that's what God does. God gives. God creates. So he gave me the ability to partner with him to become a provider, to become a giver. An adult has the ability to be a provider because we have our independence, we have our minds and we have our egos and we have our personality and character. We have the ability to become a provider that I can take care of others. I can generate enough income and by working honestly and working hard, I can generate money to take care and to provide for others. So this is a godly thing. I'm becoming a partner God gave me the greatest gift he gave me the ability to become a giver a provider a sustainer just like, just like Hashem himself so therefore 24-7 what I'm my, my standing in the office my pursuing my career as I'm going about my business what am I thinking of? Hashem because as I'm going about my business I'm out in the synagogue it's not a holy day it's in a Wednesday afternoon in the middle of August a Tuesday morning, in the middle of July, what But no, I am doing something godly. My being in the office and do... my pursuing my career and my earning my living, I'm doing something godly. It's not just about ego, career, me, I. There's something much deeper going on here. I am partnering with Hashem. He gave me the greatest gift. He enabled me to become a giver, a life sustainer, a provider. So if that becomes your whole intent, then giving tzedakah, it's war spoils. It's a conflict, a wrestling match. I write it with joy. This is what I'm all about. God is providing me. Everything that I have is a gift, is a gratuitous gift, is a pure act of tzedakah from His part, all my success, everything that I have. So it's very easy for me to become godly and godlike and give from what I have and share with others. Even people who are not worthy, and strangers, and poor people. So the question now becomes the reverse. The Torah says that your family comes first. Why should my family come first? According to this, the more needy, I should provide for everyone who is most needy. Maybe I should uh, let my family uh, not worry so much about my family and let me take care of the stranger, the orphan, the poor person. Let me pour all my energies in helping those who are most in need and maybe to the neglect of my own family. The Torah says, you're not allowed to do that. According to the above, however, one should provide for the needs of others to the very same degree that he provides for his own family. Why, then, should the needs of one's own family take precedence over the needs of others? The Alter Rebbe answers this by saying, It is only that according to the Torah, a man's wife and children take precedence over all others. There are priorities. In giving tzedakah, I want to help the whole world. The average person today in New York gets bombarded with appeals, constant appeals. So there is a priority. The Torah gives us a priority. Not that any cause is less worthy of the other, but the Torah gives us a priority. Your family comes first. If I have to make a choice, I only have enough money to help one. If I have a choice between my family and strangers, family always comes first. If it's a question of helping my own community, building a shul in my own community, helping my own community, or building something elsewhere, my community comes first. There, there are priorities. So this is because, so. it's only because the Torah itself tells me. It's not because of for egotistical reasons. Because naturally, of course, I love my family. That's the reason I'm working. That's, everything that I'm doing is for myself and my family and my extended family. He says, no. The reason I'm working is for Hashem. That's the motivation. That's the reason I'm working. And therefore, I should give tzedakah. Really, there shouldn't be any distinction between my own, I shouldn't love myself more than I love my fellow Jew. There shouldn't be any distinction between myself, my family, and my fellow Jew. Only because the Torah itself makes that distinction. The Torah itself, Hashem says, take care of your family. That's your first and primary responsibility. Just like the great Rabbi Akiva, who said, love your fellow Jew like yourself is a great rule in the Torah. Is a, Rabbi Kiva himself said, "This is an argument in the Talmud. Two Jews are going together, walking together, and they're lost in the desert. They only have one jug of water, enough for one. One of them is going to die—a horrible death, you know, of thirst. And one is going to live. The question is: Does the one who owns the water, who owns the water, it's his water?" What should you do? So one opinion is, split the water in half. 50-50. 50% 50 of the water goes to you, 50% of the water goes to you, and you both end up dying. Because there's not enough for both. But right now, you have to share it equally, and tough luck, you're both going to die. But you can't have one person save himself at the expense of another. The great Rabbi Akiva, who taught us, love your fellow Jew like yourself and this is the halacha, this is the verdict, this is the conclusion, like Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva says no, your life comes first, so you drink the water, and say goodbye to your friend, love your fellow Jew like yourself, yes, but the Torah itself, the same Torah that tells you, love your fellow Jew like yourself, the Torah tells you, that your first responsibility, and primary responsibility, is for yourself, because God gave you yourself, and you have to take care of yourself. There's no one else in the world who's going to take care of yourself. And there's no one else in the world who could take care of yourself like yourself. So that's your first and primary responsibility. You can love the world, you can help the world. You can't love and help the world if there's no you. You know, people who are martyrs and martyr themselves for the whole world and don't take care of themselves, it's, it's dysfunctional. That's not. The Torah says you are responsible for yourself. You have to take charge of yourself. You're responsible for yourself. You have to take care of yourself. No one else in the world is going to take care of you. And no one else in the world could take care of you like yourself. That's your responsibility. Again, it's not ego. That's your divine mission. God gave you you because you are the only one who knows how to deal with you and to take care of you. So that's your first responsibility take care of yourself. So if it's a question of my dying and someone else dying, you come first. So, so the Torah itself is telling me that my family comes first. Because that's my primary responsibility. I'm responsible for my family. A teacher is responsible for his students. Yes, he has to love and care for every single Jew. But your students come first. That's your responsibility. You are the only one who has that responsibility to take care. There's a special relationship between you and the students, and the same thing is with family. The Torah says that family is a special relationship. It's a soul connection. It's not just biological, accidental, external. The Torah says you are responsible to take care of your family. It's your family. So yes, in a broader sense, all Jews are family. We're all brothers and sisters, and I literally have to love my fellow Jew like myself. And this is what God does. If I'm godly and I want to emulate God, I should be a provider. And I should provide for anyone who knocks on my door. Anyone that I'm I'm in a position to help. I should become, I should be the provider. But nevertheless, the Torah says there are priorities. Your time is limited, your energy is limited. There are priorities. Your family comes first. Because the Torah tells me my family. How do I know that I'm doing it because the Torah tells me my family comes first? If you're asking this question, <laughs> most people ask the other question. Why should I give to a stranger? No one asks. Out of 7 billion people. Maybe you can count on one hand. Not even. Who asked this question? Why should I take care of my family? Before I take care of a stranger. Everyone asks the opposite. Why should I take care of a stranger? Why I take care of my family, that goes without saying. It's natural. That's what I do. It's me. It's who I am. My family is my extension. It's an extension of my ego. It's an extension of my being, my spouse, my children, my grandchildren. That's the most natural thing in the world. You don't have to be Jewish for that. This is a healthy ego. This is normal. This is natural. Many cultures that are very strong family-oriented the Italians. And so this is not, this, this is, there's nothing unique. But someone who's asking himself this question, why my family first? At the expense of the stranger, or the poor person who's knocking on the door. This is someone who genuinely loves everyone, and loves your fellow Jews literally like you love yourself. And this is a Jew who's godly, who's permeated with godliness. And his entire motivation, raison d'etre, and drive, and what engages and occupies most of his time, most of his day, to earn a living, this is a godly event. It's a godly exercise in becoming a giver, a creator, a provider. And therefore, since that's the impulse behind everything that he's doing, Therefore he wants to give without limitations, no strings attached, help everyone, anyone that comes knocking on my door, if it comes to my attention and I'm in a position to help, let me help them. But the Torah says, you have to love yourself first, love your family first, you have to take care of your family, that's your first responsibility. You can help the whole world, but not at the expense of your own family. your family comes first because that's what God says and that's what the Torah says. You are, this is your family. It's a unique family. There's no other family like it. It's you. It's your family and you have a special responsibility to your family. So this is the right thing to do. This is, this is a godly thing to do. It's not out of ego motivations because this is what the Torah tells me to do. This is what Hashem wants me to do. This is what He wants of me. He wants me to Yes, I have to love the whole world. But I also have to remember that I'm an individual. I'm a person. I'm an individual. A unique individual. And I come from a unique family. And I'm creating a unique family. And my responsibilities, first and foremost, is to that individual. Yes, I have to love the community and love the whole world. And that's a godly thing to do. But the Torah tells me it cannot be at the expense of the family. There are people who are saving the whole world and in the meanwhile their families are falling apart, their children are neglected. The Torah says it's all beautiful but you missed the whole point. There are people who really are selfless and they're really saving the world and helping the world and but at the expense of their own loved ones. They neglect themselves, they neglect their spouses, they neglect their children. It's coming from a, from a good impulse. They're kind, they're good, they're selfless, they want to do the right thing. But the Torah says, and that's what the Torah is counterintuitive, the Torah is divine, it's godly. The Torah doesn't uh, teaches us what's the right thing to do, it's not always what we think it is. The Torah says none very nice. You're saving the world and you say helping the whole world and you're doing incredible work. But the expense of taking care of your own self and your own spiritual needs and the expense of taking care of your wife and children, of your spouse and children and grandchildren. There's something wrong with this picture. Because in a truly godly model there's no conflict in the individual and the community. The more I help others, the more it helps me develop and nurture my own spirituality. The more I develop my own spiritual individual personality, the more it opens me up to care about others and expands my horizons, broadens my horizons. They feed on each other, they help each other, they enhance each other. So if you see one without the other, at the root... It's not motivated by godliness. Selflessness could be the ultimate ego trip. It's It's not about Hashem. I'm a martyr. I love whatever the motivation is. It's not a godly motivation. The true model and the Torah model, which is God's vision for reality, and the truth, the absolute ultimate truth is, is a perfect harmony, perfect blend. You see an individual who's impressive as an individual, who developed himself, personality, character, has something to show for himself. He's constantly nourishing and nurturing his own spiritual growth, and constantly challenging himself, not using his public service as an excuse for his shallowness, and for his lack of refinement, or lack of effort and work, and changing himself, becoming a better person. And, the more and the more refined he is as an individual, the more loving and selfless and kind he is to all those around. And they feed each other and they enhance each other. So if you're really doing this because Hashem says, then you have to take care of your family first. At the same time that you're asking yourself, am I allowed to take care of my family first? Because now I want to help everyone and yet they say no Hashem says yes I'm going to help but my family comes first so it's, a, it's, a, it's you know Judaism is very very well balanced it's, it's, it's almost it's a paradox it's squaring the circle it's pulling off the impossible because only God is one only God is, could contain paradoxes body and soul the ultimate paradox he creates us. He puts body and soul together, material and spiritual, the ultimate paradox. So only God, the Torah, is so perfect. It, it's, it's not capitalist. It's not socialist. It's, it highlights the individual and private property and, and it's okay to earn a living and to make a profit. At the same time, we're also part of a whole. We have communal responsibilities and we have to take care of others. It's that perfect blend, that godly blend that's that has all the positive aspects of everything without any of the negatives. Because it's perfect. Because it comes from God who's perfect. God is perfect. His Torah is perfect. And He gave us a way of life that we can bring that perfection into this world, into this reality. So if you are godly, and if your whole motivation and the reason why you're working and spending most of your time and most of your effort and most of your energy working for a living and becoming a provider, if your motivation is because you realize that I'm connecting with God by becoming a provider. God is a provider and I am in turn also providing. And God gave me the opportunity to become a partner with Him, to become a giver, a creator, just like God Himself, and to give and to provide and to take care of my family. If that's your motivation, then you can truly live up to this model, this perfect model that the Torah says. Where there is individuality, not in the sake of love, you completely suppress any sense of individuality, any sense of self, erase any... This is a communist model. It's not a Jewish model. It's not a Torah model. Family is family. And the love that you can get in your own family, you can't, can't, can't get anywhere in the world. You know, the Rebbe once said, he says, Plato was extremely cruel for all his brilliance because he advocated that they should take children away from their families. And they should grow up like in communes. To deprive a child, the Rebbe said to deprive a child of the love of a parent. How cruel, what a monster you have to be. Because no one could love a child like a parent loves a child. So you're going to deprive that love. In Judaism, it's all about the family and the family unit and the sacredness of the family. So the Torah elevates the family to the highest level. So that individuality and uniqueness and family and the love between family, a special relationship between parent to children and children to parents and siblings, that's something you have to celebrate. That's beautiful. But, But there's a godly, ultimately, everything that I do, there's a godly purpose. And if there's a godly purpose, then really I should help all of God's children. Any godly soul. So if a poor person comes knocking at my door and by divine providence is brought to my attention and I have the ability to help him, I want to help. And if I can, I will. But not the expense of my own family. So this is a very, uh, it's a bridge and not everyone succeeds in crossing and not everyone knows how to balance the two. Individuality, community, family. And humanly it is impossible. It's squaring the circle. But if you connect the to Hashem, then you can live up to this model and bring perfection and bring godliness into this world, which is our mission. Yath Rebbe wrote this episode in connection with the tzaddikim Rav Mendel, the tefka, and Rav Avram Kuliska, as well as their colleagues and disciples, who at the time of writing had already left the Astra and were living in the Holy Land. Yath Rebbe therefore goes on to say... The first Aliyah to Israel was 100 years before Theodor Herzl was born. It was by the Hasidim. The Alter Rebbe's mentor, one of the greatest students of his mentor, his teacher, Rabbi Dov Ber, Rabbi Nachaman took a group of Hasidim, Rabbi Avraham Kalbis, led a group of Hasidim from Eastern Europe and moved to Israel. The Alter Rebbe himself packed his bags, took his family, said goodbye to his Hasidim and reached as far as the Russian-Turkish border. Until he was persuaded by his mentor to go back, because the Jewish community needed him, Hasidism was not yet established enough. Um, so the Alter Rebbe took upon himself to support this group of Hasidim. Then there was no industry, there was no economy to speak of in Israel. Israel was desolate. Mark what 12. year was this? This was in the seventh, in the eighteenth century. Mark, at the end of the 18th century, Mark Twain wrote about his visits in Israel in the 19th century, how it was a swampland, desolate, you know, all these Arabs argued, I mean, the place was deserted, it was a swampland. Of course, there were natives, but hardly, very few. It's only when the Jews came back, and miraculously, the land responds to, Israel only responds to Jews, and always has, historically, only to Jews. So it started flourishing, and therefore more workers migrated to Israel from the 20 Arab countries. You know, there's no such thing as Palestinian Arabs. There's no such thing as Palestinians. The whole thing is a myth. These are Arabs from 20 local countries that that came, and a few natives. And the Jews are also natives. So 200 years ago, there was a group of Hasidim that moved from Eastern Europe and moved to, to Israel. Now, there was no... You couldn't earn a living. you couldn't live. There was nothing. There was nothing happening. There was nothing going on. So they lived off the kindness and the tzedakah of the Jews in Eastern Europe, who they themselves were starving and you know, had difficulties making ends meet. You remember Fiddler on the Roof? And It wasn't too far off, all those descriptions. It was bitter poverty. Jews had bitter, bitter, bitter poverty. But nevertheless, every Jewish family sheared whatever they had. They sheared and they would send to support the community in Israel. Now the Rebbe took upon himself to support this community, and he, every year he would send out an appeals letter. It doesn't look like the appeals letter that we get in the mail today. This is what this is one of the appeals letters. The majority of the 32 letters that we're, uh, we have learned and we will learn, majority of them are appeal letters. But each letter is a profound explanation of the meaning of tzedakah like the al Rebbe, in this letter writes, profoundly ch- changes our whole understanding and our whole attitude of what it means to earn a living and how it's connected with our Judaism and how we're fulfilling a godly mission in the act of earning a living. It's not just the means to an end, but in the very act of earning a living itself, we're fulfilling a godly mission because we're becoming godly and godlike. We're becoming providers and givers and sustainers. and So, Al-Tarebi is writing to his Hasidim to be generous and to give a lot of tzedakah. I'm sure that year the campaign <laughs> was very, very successful. This must have blown the minds of all the Jews in Russia, everyone who received this letter. Um, so he's going to say, and he says something very revolutionary here. Except for the saddikim of the generation who take precedence over one's children. It's interesting. He says that your family comes first. The Torah says your family comes first. But he says there's an exception. And that is the leaders of the generation, the spiritual leaders of the generation, the prophets, the holy ones, the saints, the righteous ones, the guides, the eyes of the community, the hearts of the community, the minds of the community, the leaders. And here he's specifically referring to Rabbi Menachem Mendel Levitev, his mentor, and Rabbi Ramkaliske. There they come even before your children. Now, it's very cryptic here, but if you notice, he doesn't say they come before your wife. Your wife always comes first, because a husband and wife are inseparable. With children, so again, the Altarebi relies that you know what the Talmud says. What are parents' obligations by law? To take care of your children. To what age are parents obligated take care of your children. By law, they're obligated to take care of your children till the age of seven, when they turn seven. And the, the Maimonides says, because since you committed yourself to take care of your wife, you have to take care of your wife's children. And that's part and parcel. It's a package deal. You can't separate it. From the age of when they turn seven till they become adults, We can't force you. But the courts would shame if parents said, listen, I'm not obligated to take care of them. Seven, you're on your own. Go begging in the streets. Go working. Child labor. It's not my business. I don't have to. And they knew that he's not so impoverished. He could support his own children. He's just miserly. They would shame him in the community and say, look what what a cruel person this person must be. A father, his own children... He's worse than the raven. The raven takes care of their children. He he doesn't even take care. He has no pity even Mm -hmm. on his own. He's throwing them into the streets. So they would shame him. And the public shame and humiliation would usually be enough to get the father to do the right thing and to take care of his children. Up until the children become adults. Children become adults. He's no longer obligated. You're an adult. Take care of yourself. So obviously when the Altarev is saying here... That the righteous people, the leaders of the generation, come before some members now a family the children is referring to he's not tr- referring to children who are under the age of seven because just like he doesn't refer to your wife you, your first responsibility, even before the tzaddik, even before the righteous one the saintly one, the holy one is if to take care of your wife, take care of your spouse and as an extension of that you have to take care of your younger children that's I only have enough money, my children or the tzaddik, with all the respect, your wife and child comes first. If the children, however, are over the age, here the Altarebi says something novel, we don't know the source, but truly the Altarebi has a source, he's not just making this up, that the tzaddik comes first. You know, in a sense, the tzaddik is like our spiritual father. We find throughout the Bible The students refer to their teacher, their mentors. Father, Father. When Elijah the Prophet goes up in the chariot, Elisha calls him, Father, Father, where have you gone? Because our biological father is our biological father, and our teacher is our spiritual father. He's giving birth to us in the spiritual sense. He's giving us our soul. He's giving us our whole meaning and understanding of life. So we owe our debt of gratitude our, our spiritual father was even greater than to the debt of gratitude that we owe to our biological father. So in a sense a tzaddik is, is our spiritual father. He's our in that sense maybe you have an obligation. I have an obligation so if you have an obligation to take care of them which precedes even the obligation of taking care of my children. Not the very little children but my children. We're talking about extreme scenarios where a person literally only has (laughs) one piece of bread. Who's who's going to get that bread? So here, I am told that I have to take care of my family. My family comes first. But not at the expense of the tzad. Just like if a poor person was knocking on your door and they only had one piece of bread. Who's going to get that bread? Torah says you have to take care of your family. Take care of your wife. That's your first responsibility. It's very nice. You want to help the whole world. But not at the expense of taking care of your spouse and taking care of your younger children. But if there's only one slice of bread and it's either me or the tzaddik, it's not me or the tzaddik. It's either children or older and the tzaddik. He says the tzaddik comes first. And then he continues, within the tzaddikim, which tzaddik takes precedence? Moreover, the tzaddikim in the land of Israel take precedence over the tzaddikim in the diaspora apart from the fact that they did not leave anyone in the diaspora to hold for themselves? Right, so firstly, it's a theoretical question because there is no one in the diaspora as great as Rabbi Nachman Levitev. But e- even theoretically, if there were, those, Siddiquim, were are living in the land of Israel, take precedence. Again, he doesn't bring any source, he just says it like it is. This is the way it is. That just the fact that they're living in the land of Israel, therefore they're in a higher level, or whatever it is, because they're living in the land of Israel, they come first. So he's telling, so now he's going to conclude that he's telling his Hasidim, encouraging them to take personal responsibility, to answer this appeal, to participate in this fund, in this tzedakah, sustaining the Jewish community in the land of Israel, sustaining the righteous ones in their community, and even though it's difficult, because those communities were literally it was bitter, bitter poverty, and it was difficult to give tzedakah. It's not like today, thank God, so much easier. There it was literally question. These, all these questions were very l- literal questions. There, who's going to get this piece of bread? It's <laughs> my wife, myself, my child, my the older children, the younger children. Who's a stranger? The poor person knocking on my door? With so much poverty. So it was a struggle, it was difficult. That's why the al Tarebi shifts in the whole underlying assumption, changes the whole underlying assumption of how you're looking at yourself and money and earning money and, and having the ability to provide and looking how you have to look at your own family versus others. So there's no ego division, me versus others. We're all one, we're all connected. I love my fellow Jew like I love myself, literally. There is no ego division. There is a Torah division, however. Torah says there are divisions. There are degrees. Your first responsibility is for yourself, as Rabbi mm-hmm. Kiva said. Then there's your family. Mm-hmm. And then there are the people close to you. Your city, there are priorities. We don't have unlimited funds. We don't have, we don't have unlimited resources. So, but there's no ego division. It's a godly division. The Torah tells me, I have two mitzvot, one mitzvah to take care of my family, one mitzvah to take care of my fellow Jew, which I, I want to do wholeheartedly and joyfully, and I, I'm eagerly. The Torah says, no. I can't do both. It's one or the other. If I could do both, then surely you do both. It's not even a question. But I can't do both. So the Torah says, the Torah does a triage for me. The Torah says, family first. It pains me. I want to help them. But the Torah tells me, Hands are tied. He tells me, I have a responsibility first and foremost to my, to my family. Is that responsibility to make sure they're adequately provided? Very good point. Versus um, going, making it more indulgent very at the good. expense of... Very good point. Fellowship. That's what Alter Rebbe is going to write later on in these letters. Exactly that point. He says, when does Rabbi Kiva say my life comes first and the responsibility for my own private, my family, my personal family comes first and again, we're talking about it's not out of ego motivation, it's because I have two mitzvahs, two equal mitzvahs that I have to do so the Torah said tell me, triage, which one, which one comes at the expense of the other so the Torah says, it's a godly thing, the Torah says you have to take care of your family first that's only as an example of Rabbi Kiva the says. there was one jug of water it's either one person living or one person dying, such extreme circumstances of course your life comes first but if it's a question, I'm living comfortably, but for me to have luxus and luxuries that it, completely unnecessary, and I'm going to spend my fortune on, on owning three homes and building the largest home in America, is this what God gave you money for? And, you, my, and my fellow Jews should starve to death. Then it's not even a question. Again, if your motivation is ego, it's about ego and I, then of course I come first. All my luxuries come first. All my excesses come first strangers all the way down at the bottom. If I have extra time, I have an extra bone to throw him, I'll throw him a bone. But if I'm godly and my entire motivation is godly and everything that I do is all about Hashem and there is no other reality but Hashem and that's woven into the fabric of my life 24-7, then I'm itching to help the other person because that's the godly thing to do. That's the mitzvah. So then you think, I'm going to spend, when the Torah says triage, your family comes first. That's if, it's, if I have one piece of bread. It's my family's life or the stranger's life. The Torah says your family comes before the stranger. You come before anyone. That's your first responsibility. But it's, is it even a question? The other person should die and I should live in luxus and luxuries that are completely unnecessary, complete, a waste of time and money. And that's, that's, How is that possible? The Torah never said that you come first because of ego. Torah says, you come first because that's your primary responsibility. So take care of your family, make sure they're provided for properly, with dignity. But all the rest of the money? The rest of the money is not for me. I forget his name. It was unbelievable. Actually, a non-Jew, Irishman. His partner's Jews. <laughs> they own all the duty-free shops, or owned all the duty-free shops. Yeah. Oh, So that's the Irishman's name? No. Yeah. I think there's two partners, there were two partners, and for years he gave all his money away to Tzedakah. Anonymously, for decades. He would study charities without anyone knowing and he would send serious money. When he sold his business, he had to report to the IRS, he had to report, so it, it, it came out for the public. He kept five million, he was a billionaire. His partner, unfortunately, was not like him. He kept five million for himself. He had five children, raised a normal family. He kept five million for himself. He says, how many pairs of shoes do I need? How many steaks could I eat? Five million, I'm very comfortable. I can take care of my family. And all the rest, I close to a billion dollars, maybe even more than a billion. It's all for the stock. He says, I deserve all this money. Am I something special? God gave me this money. God gave me this gift, so I'm just going to keep it for myself. He he, he had such Jewish instincts, which was amazing. And that's exactly what he said God gave me all this money, and I deserve it. I'm a better person than anyone else. So I have what I need. I have to take care of myself, take care of my family, and all the rest. And he used his brilliance and his business acumen to choose charities which he believed in and that were spending most of their money was not used in overhead that was really going for the cause. I mean, it was an amazing, inspiring. And that's what he's talking about here. If your whole life you're thinking about Hashem, you're thinking about God and your whole motivation, the one area that occupies most of your life and energy which is earning a living and being a provider if your whole motivation is godly and you're thinking about Hashem 24-7 because God is one and you are one and there is no other reality then giving tzedakah it's not a struggle you give generously and you give wholeheartedly and you give joyfully because this is the godly thing to do God gave you money and I'm, I'm, the only reason I'm working and I'm earning a living is because I'm becoming like God to become a giver to be a provider to be a giver when I give and I help and I'm in a position to help I am becoming godly and godlike but in the extreme case, we have to make a choice. My survival, my family's survival, or stranger's survival. My heart is crying, and I want to help the stranger. The Torah says, this is a mitzvah, this is a mitzvah, and I'm itching to do both mitzvahs, but I can't. The Torah says, family first, community, your community first, that you live in, your community first, etc. So but it's a question of luxury and luxus and luxury and the other person starving to death. And that's, if a Jew is coming from a godly place and he's giving tzedakah because the whole un- underlying assumption is godly, then what kind of question is that? Of course, I have to take care of my family in a dignified way. It doesn't mean they're walking around with tatters, God forbid, they have to be dignified, it has to be right. But if I can save another person's life at the expense of my luxury... Save the other person's life. That's the godly thing to do. That's the Jewish thing to do. That's the right thing. Because what do you live for? How do you define yourself? You're not living for luxury and luxus. That's not. That's not what defines you. You can be a billionaire, but it's not what defines you. For a Jew, there's only one thing that defines us: the one thing that's real, the one thing that's true, Hashem. So I'm not defined. I don't need all these luxuries. I don't need all these luxuries. I don't need these cars and these I have to own 12 cars and I have to own three houses and I have to own a yacht. I I don't need it. That's not what my life is about. That's not how I define myself. I define myself in my relationship to Hashem. One of the Hasidim, the great Hasidim, the Rebbe, Rabbi Pinchas, and and we'll conclude with this for this week he was extremely wealthy like a billionaire in those days you know when rubles were worth something this is in Russia and he um, Al-Tarebi visited his town and he had just built like this mansion huge house Al-Tarebi was taken aback because he was a real chassid of Al-Tarebi he built himself this huge extravagant palace he was a chassid. Yeah, everything I'm teaching you—that's not how you define yourself. It's not what you care about. Is this, whats going on here? He says, Rebbe, because I have the nicest town and the nicest house in town, all the communal meetings happen in my house, and therefore I have, an, I have an opinion. I have a say, and they respect me. So when I say that we need, you know, we have to—we have to get the right teacher for our children, and we have to make sure that everything is on a highest level spiritually, I have a say. If I'll, if I'll move into a little tiny modest house, they won't even look at me. Because that's the way of the world. The Rebbe heard this, he says, okay, continue. <laughs> so if you need the yacht and you need all that trappings in order that you should be able to fulfill your godly mission, again, it's all about the motivation. It's all about what's, what makes you tick. What are you all about? How do you define yourself? What's your reality? If your reality in the deepest level and the truest level and the conscious level first and foremost and the, f- the forefront is Hashem Echad you close your eyes and you concentrate and you acknowledge that God is one there's only one reality and there's one truth and there's nothing else and that's how I define myself and that's what my life is all about and that's what I live for everything that I do is only to express God is one including the one activity that occupies most of my life which is earning a living because I'm becoming a provider, a giver just like God is a giver then you want to give tzedakah most natural thing in the world and if I have extra money there's no limits T- uh, 20% that's it what do you mean 20% give more than 20% if I have the opportunity and I have the ability and God made me a billionaire like the person says he took a fraction for himself he kept for himself 10% not even 5% or maybe even less he kept himself 5 million and the rest he give? Well, what do I need? have to count the money in the bank account so I'm going to go to the grave counting my money knowing how wealthy the bank is sitting in the bank you know if you're a godly person and your whole life is godliness then you you are like God you give every opportunity you do joyfully to give and constantly give and to give again and to give more and to give better and such a person also gives the quality is different the quality of the giving is different there's an egolessness you give gently because you can kill people with your giving. You make them feel, I'm the giver, you're the receiver. It's all about ego. The plaque, the acknowledgement, ego, arrogant. And you, you kill the person with your kindness. Sometimes you, it's not worth the money. <laughs> you destroy their ego, you destroy their, their, their dignity. Versus if, if your whole intent is godly, you're giving because God gives and you're just being godly by giving and everything that you have is an act of gratuitous kindness, an act of pure tzedakah from God. So, of course, whatever I have, in turn, I also have to share and give. Then you give gently. You give with refinement. It's not about ego. It's not about arrogance. It's not about me. It's really you're sensitive to the needs of the other person. You're sensitive to their sensibilities. You give them with a smile. You make them feel like a million dollars. It's a whole different quality of giving. So this this is the point he's making in this chapter, that everything that a Jew does is different. How we do it, the way we do it, our inner motivation. If you get to the root of the matter, the whole underlying assumption, we're coming from a whole different place. It's a godly assumption. The whole root is godly. And therefore the activity is different. And how we go about it is different. Everything we do is different. (laughs) Not only the spiritual things, that's obviously Studying Torah, the praying, the holidays. How we go about our business is different. How we look at money is different. Everything about us is different. And that's what distinguishes us. We're a holy people, not only in the synagogue, not only in Yom Kippur, compartmentalized moments. We're a holy people 24-7. When we're standing at the office, we're holy. When we're eating, we're holy. Our relationships, our families, Everything that we're doing is awful. This is the revolution of the Hasidic movement, to be continued. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com